Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text today's message comes from the Old Testament reading of Judges, as you heard a few moments ago. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, when you think about your life, when you think about growing up, what are the expectations that people have for you? Or for those of you who are much older, what are the expectations people had for you? If you lived in the country, grew up on a farm, was it expected of you that eventually you would take over the farm? And that you would become a farmer yourself? If you did really well in school, was the expectation that you would go on to university? That you would go on to get a degree and a, a well-paying job? That you would use your brains and go and be something? Do something incredible. Change the world. If you did not do really well in school, was the expectation that you would not go to university. That you would pick up some kind of trade that didn't require any schooling. Would you get some job that was easily and brainless? Would you make a career, a life out of that? If you were any child in a family and you were not the firstborn, were you expected to follow in the older one's footsteps? So if they had a job in high school, so did you. If they went to university, so did you. If they were really smart, well, you'd better be too. Was the bar set incredibly high that you could never reach it? And thus there were these unrealistic expectations on you? If you were the firstborn child, were you expected to take care of the rest of your family? You take care of your younger siblings. You take care of your parents as they get older. Was the bar set incredibly high for you? And if you did not achieve it, you were considered a failure, a disappointment. What were the expectations you faced in life, in growing up? And was your value, was your worth in life based on those expectations? And what happens when you don't live up to those expectations? This is our final week in the book of Judges. And if you remember the cycle for the people of Israel, it kind of goes like this. God, through Moses, had called the people to be holy because he is holy. He gave them the Ten Commandments to follow, with commandment number one being, you shall have no other gods before me. And the Israelites are not holy. They do not worship God and him alone. They fail to follow God's commandments. They sin. They do evil. They stray from God. And then they receive judgment for their sin in the form of being given over to conquered by other nations. 
And then when they repent of their sins, when they cry out to God for help, he sends a deliverer, a rescuer, someone to save them from the nations that rule over them. Today we see that the Israelites have been handed over to the Philistines. And they rule over Israel for 40 years. The previous amount of time in Judges that we had heard was 20 years. And now we hear twice that. And so after 40 years, Israel is going to get a deliverer. This is the story of Samson. Arguably the most famous judge and he's probably the most famous judge because he is blessed with an incredible gift. But his story starts out similar to other stories that we hear in God's word. Samson's mom is barren. She is not able to have children. Then the angel of the Lord appears to her and tells her that she will conceive a son. And then instructs her, no razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. So from conception, he is set apart. His hair is not to be cut, and he will be the one to save Israel from the Philistines. When he is born, he is named Samson. He is blessed by God, and the Spirit of the Lord was upon him. We see in the next couple of chapters that you didn't hear what was so special about Samson. Samson at some point figures out that he's pretty strong. At some point, he believes it's because of his hair. And we see some incredible things from Samson. Ripping a line apart with his bare hands. He strikes down 30 men because... They kind of convinced his wife to solve a riddle. He burns down the Philistine grain and olive orchards after catching 300 foxes and tying torches between their tails. He takes out 1,000 men with the jawbone of a donkey. Samson has this incredible strength. But Samson is also a bit of a not-so-smart man. Now, I'm not sure what the expectations of Samson's parents were for him, but they were certainly told by God that he was special, dedicated to God. He was going to save Israel. So maybe he grew up with this understanding that he was their soon-to-be deliverer. He was going to be the savior of the Israelites. And there was a lot resting on his shoulders, these big hulking shoulders of his. And I don't know about you, but it's almost as if Samson is setting himself up to rebel a little bit. If these expectations were placed upon him. Because as many of us have done, or have the tendency to do, when someone tells us to do something, or when someone tells us that, that this is what they want from us, this is what they expect from us, we do the exact opposite. And we see a little bit of this with Samson. Because maybe it's possible his parents told him to never tell anyone his secret. Maybe they told him that his strength was in his hair and don't ever do anything with it. Don't tell anybody to cut it or anything like that. He meets a Philistine woman. 
he then marries her, even when his parents told him not to. And then the Philistines used her to figure out his riddle, which she forced out of him, which is why he ended up killing those 30 Philistine men. And the same thing happens with Delilah. As you heard, the lords of the Philistines come to her, and they offer her 1,100 pieces of silver each. Except this time, he tells her three different lies. Each time she does them, he doesn't lose his strength like he said he would. Now, you would have thought, if Samson is a smart guy, right, that he would have figured out that Delilah was the problem. But no, the fourth time, she throws the L word out, right? I mean, it should have taken Samson two times to not trust her, but no, he goes four times. And then she says, how can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me these three times, and you have told me where you're not told me where your great strength lies. So Samson has a problem. He has a weakness for the ladies. And so this is now the second time that this ex sort of exact kind of thing has happened. Where he's forced to tell his secrets. Delilah becomes his downfall. And he told her all his heart and said to her, a razor has never come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. And so he sleeps in her lap. His hair is cut. He wakes up. The Philistines are upon him, and his strength is gone because the Lord left him. Now, why, while we may think that Samson's strength was in his hair. And he believes that it was, since that's what he told Delilah. God's word never tells us that his strength came from his hair. Just that he was not supposed to cut it because he was a Nazarite. And we know that his strength really came from the Lord. All of those instances we already mentioned, right? The lion, the 30 men, the... 1,000 men. It happens because the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. But this time, in this instant, after his hair is cut, the Spirit of the Lord left him. Almost as if the cycle of Israel was now happening with Samson. He sinned. He broke all of the Nazarite vows that he was supposed to follow. And God gave him over to judgment. And so he is bound. He is imprisoned. His eyes are gouged out, as you heard. And then he is eventually brought out of the prison to entertain the Philistines. He's put in between these two pillars. And then he calls out to God, O oh Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me only this once, O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. Now maybe this is Samson's line of repentance in the cycle. And then the deliverance comes because he is the judge. But what we really see here is we get this image of Samson between these two pillars when this is all happening, right? And he pushes across them, and then the roof comes down. Now, there are some that might question Samson giving up his life and asking this. Is 
this not suicide? Well, when we think of suicide, we think of someone taking their own life. Samson says to the Lord, let me die with the Philistines. So this is not necessarily him taking his own life. This is not an act of self-destruction. This is not him throwing his life away. We could actually argue that he threw his life away with Delilah. What he is doing here is he's laying down his life to destroy the temple of this false god Dagon. And in consequence, in return, it delivers the people of Israel. And we heard in the reading from Hebrews that Samson is listed among the judges and others who are commended for their faith. That's the story of Samson. If we look at Samson a little closer, we'll actually see that there are some, some similarities between him and Jesus. Both of them had a special visitor to announce their conception. The angel Gabriel visits Mary and tells her, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Like Samson, the announcement by an angel comes first to the woman and tells of this expected birth. That the child in the womb is going to be special, chosen by God, going to save the people. Obviously, one is a Nazarite who is dedicated to God, and one is the son of God. Who wouldn't be a Nazarite, but be, he would be a Nazarene. Now, you may wonder why it was that the angel Gabriel, and not the angel of the Lord, spoke to Mary, announcing the birth like with Samson. Well, if we go back to Samson's parents, we find that the angel of the Lord is actually the Lord. Because after the angel leaves, the husband, Manoah, says, we shall surely die for we have seen God. And in the instances of the Old Testament, when it is the Lord who appears as the angel of the Lord, we're going to say that that is the second person of the Trinity. This is the pre-incarnate Christ. This is Jesus before he is born. Because we know that Jesus as God has always been. And so Jesus appearing to tell the birth of Samson? No big deal. And even he says, when he's questioned, he says, I am. Which we know Jesus says multiple times in the Gospels, right? I am. Now, Jesus appearing to Mary? As the angel of the Lord to tell of his own birth? That might be a little weird. So for this one, let's, let's get a, a real angel to tell. And then like Samson, Jesus probably grew up with some expectations. He grew up with the understanding that he was the deliverer, the savior of his people. There was a lot resting on his shoulders. And not just that he was going to overcome some Philistines— but he was going to overcome the sins of the entire world. In the end, for deliverance, for the deliverance of the people of Israel, it cost Samson his life. And you read that as he did it, he stretched his arms out against these two pillars, 
he bowed his head. And it was only in his death that Samson became the deliverer for the people. Which is why it's said that in his death, he killed more Philistines than during his life. So too, in the end, for deliverance, it cost Jesus his life. His arms were outstretched on the cross. And then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit, as we heard in the reading of the gospel. And it was only in Jesus' death that he became the deliverer of the people. Except in Jesus' death, he didn't take anyone else with him, like Samson. It was he and he alone that died. And in fact, unlike the Philistines that had death come upon them with Samson's death, in Jesus' death, death does not come upon anyone else, including us. In fact, death is removed from us. And we know that this is true because on the third day, Jesus rises from the dead, proving that he has conquered the devil. The devil, who we know prowls around like a roaring lion, has been destroyed, not by someone with great strength in their hands, but someone who had the nails pierce his hands. Jesus rises from the dead, proving that he has defeated sin, original sin, that goes all the way back to the first man and woman. And that he has overcome the sins that we actually commit. And finally, Jesus has destroyed death. So what about us? We've talked about Samson, we've talked about Jesus. Where do we fit in this narrative? Let's ask this. What are God's expectations for you? Now, P Peter reiterates Leviticus for us that we heard earlier. God says, you shall be holy for I am holy. God knows that he has set the bar high for you. It's perfection. And perfection is not easy to achieve. Especially when all of us are starting out as imperfect beings. And that's because we have been created fighting an uphill battle. Because we have been created with sin, coursing through every part of us. That's what we call that original sin. It's the sin that has been passed down to us from our parents, from all the generations before us, because of the original sin of Adam and Eve, when they ate the fruit that God commanded them not to eat. Remember last week? Did God actually say? Yes, he actually said, don't eat it. And then when you eat it, you will die. And so God demands perfection in keeping his commands, but... But we are made opposed to God and his commands because of sin. So when we sin, we are a failure. Because we have failed to live up to God's standards, his laws, his expectations for us. That's why Paul considers himself the worst of sinners. Because he is able to see his sins, knows what he has done, and be realistic as to where he falls on the bar that God has set. And the punishment for being the worst of sinners, for just being a sinner, is death. Physical death, yes, and eternal death as well. Hell, being forever separated from God and his love. But as we heard already, Jesus is our deliverer, 
our Savior while we were sinners, while we were trapped in sin and death and hell. Jesus died for us, taking our hell, our punishment, our judgment, our death, our sin, and nailing them to the cross. With arms outstretched for us, bowing his head and giving up his spirit because he loves us and because he wants to spend forever with us in heaven. What God expects of us, perfection, holiness, Jesus accomplished for us because he knew we couldn't. God's expectations become Christ's fulfillment. And now he has given us his Holy Spirit to work in us, to give us the gift of faith, to help us follow his commands, to lead a God-pleasing life. And when we, we sin, we get into that same kind of cycle like Israel. We do suffer judgment. Sometimes we have earthly consequences for our sins, for our actions, earthly punishments. But Christ came to take away our eternal punishment. He came to be our deliverer. And the Holy Spirit is the one who leads us to repentance, who points us to Christ and his death and resurrection. And as we come to God in repentance, the Holy Spirit points us to the word where we hear the good news of Christ. As many of us were brought to the waters of baptism by our parents, the Holy Spirit brought us to faith. Christ, Christ clothed himself with, clothed, clothed us with himself. And God the Father welcomed us as his children, called us his beloved. And now today the Holy Spirit leads us to the Lord's Supper to eat Christ's body and blood in the bread and the wine for the forgiveness of our sins for our salvation and for the strengthening of our faith. Faith that is not gifted to the strongest. Faith that's not gifted to the smartest. Faith that's not gifted to the firstborn. Faith that's not gifted to just the perfect. Faith that is gifted to those who God has called his own. And even though all do not believe, all are still called. And as you go this day, know that Christ came for you. He died for you. He rose for you. His words and promises are for you. And where you fail to live up to his expectations, he succeeds for you. In your weakness, he is your strength. He loves you unconditionally. And his blood covers all of your sin. And his life covers all of your death. Amen. And now the peace of God which passes all understanding. Guard your hearts and minds in Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen.